Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, and I'm sitting here in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. And man, I never get tired of the uh, good coffee here at the Catholic Cafe. But more than that, I think I enjoy the good guests that we have. And we have another wonderful guest today. And, uh, well, I like to call him the Triple D. He's uh, Deacon Dr. Dightwig at the three Ds. Uh, also the Grand Poobah of the Permanent Diaconate, I refer to him as. But uh, he's a deacon of the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. Uh, he's also the former executive director of the Secretariat for the Diaconate uh, of the USCCB and retired Navy commander, and he's ministering now in Monterey, California. So welcome to the Catholic Cafe's luxurious corner booth. Thank you for having me back, Deacon Jeff. Well, we are uh, so excited because we're going to talk about, I don't want to say it's a challenging topic, but it's kind of an exciting topic. And uh, we're getting ready to come up on a, uh, a new time in our church when we're going to have a third edition of the Missale Romanum or the Roman Missal. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you what, maybe before we talk about anything else, let's talk about what is a Missale Romanum? What is a Roman Missal? Well, that's a great question. The, in the history of the church's worship, uh, we've had many liturgical books over the centuries. Uh, after the Council of Trent, a Roman Missal was, was uh, promulgated by the Pope. Um, and a Roman Missal uh, derives its name from the fact that all of the various other liturgical books that had been developed over the centuries before were put together in one. Uh, because really, at, by the time of the Council of Trent, the Mass really was uh, celebrated by the priest. There were no other real ministers to assist him, and so he needed everything. So the lectionary was included in the Missal, the sac- what we would call the sacramentary or the, the priest altar book is in the Roman Missal. The chants are all in the Roman Missal. So the Missal is a real inclusive term. Uh, for many of the books that up till now it's had made been, up of several different parts that's obviously. correct uh, uh, multiple parts and of things that had been previously separate and so it's obviously been a very valuable resource because obviously it sort of uh, unifies in a sense the church's worship it does yeah we'll note that that we're getting ready to come up on the third edition of the roman missal mm-hmm. right which would necessarily tell us that there was a second uh-huh. and perhaps even a first i'm imagining if i'm doing my math correctly and then so we wonder like well what's wrong with the second why are we having a third what's changing why are we why are we changing the missal well Again, uh, and maybe we'll have time to talk about more of this before, but uh, as I said, a missal was promulgated by the Council of Trent, uh, by the Pope following the Council of Trent, uh, and that went through eight different editions over the centuries. Um, Following the Second Vatican Council, another Roman missal was, was promulgated following the directives of the Second Vatican Council. So the first of those editions was in 1970, where the full missal was released. And then uh, because of other changes, for example, uh, the restoration of a permanent diaconate, for example, uh, and some other changes to the law. Which uh, greatly affected my life and yours as well. uh, Amen. Uh, So there was a need for a second edition in 1975 to reflect some of those changes. And then there's a new code of canon law that came out in 1984, uh, and, and as, as well as a number of other developments. 
So actually, this third edition, which we keep referring to as the new uh, right. Roman thir- new edition, actually was promulgated in 2000, 11 years ago. Uh, so the past 11 years have been one of translation and preparing the text for actual implementation. But it's actually not a new Roman Missal anymore. It's been around for over a decade. You've told us already that the uh, the Missalia Romanum uh, was from the, the Council of Trent or mm-hmm. after the Council of Trent. And I do remember specifically that there were some, some pretty harsh and concrete words about the fact that there would be no more changes. After Trent, yes. Uh, that's exactly yeah. right. And so I wanted to read some of that. And this is from the uh, papal bull that uh, Pius V, when he promulgated the uh, this Roman Missal, and this is around uh, 1570. Yes. I wasn't alive at that point. Neither but I, was I. But he says, let all everywhere adopt and observe what has been handed down by the Holy Roman Church, the mother and teacher of the other churches, and let masses not be sung or read according to any other formula than that of this Missal published by us. This ordinance applies now and forever throughout all provinces of the Christian world. By this present constitution, which will be valid henceforth now and forever, we order and enjoin that nothing must be added to our recently published missal, nothing omitted from it, nor anything whatsoever be changed within it. Now, that's some pretty strong language. Pretty clear to me. And I think that we could assume, rightfully, after we read that, we go, well, obviously, there's never been a single change to this Roman Missal. Until today, suddenly, uh, the present time, we have uh, uh, decided to make a change. And so does this uh, fragile house of cards the church is apparently built on collapse because of this? Or or what's the reality behind that? Well, I think it's helpful to start with the reality that, you know, when, when something is alive, uh, it, it implies change. I mean, uh, Newman used to say that to, to live is to change. And to live well is to have changed often. And I, I think that that statement really does apply to how the church has worshipped. The, the thing that does not change is the mystery of what happens at Eucharist. Why do we as Christians uh, celebrate Eucharist? Um, and it goes even beyond saying, well, Jesus told us to. Uh, it, 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 what it is is an immersion into the very life of the Trinity. That's the eternal truth. Um, What's interesting about the quote you read from 1570 is that there had, prior to that, of course, there had been so much change and development and different things going on. Uh, but Pope Pius the V himself uh, made changes to, to yeah, the so missile. Immediately uh, after he releases this, uh, this papal bull and says, no more, no I'm more. telling you guys, he's pointing his finger, wagging it, saying, we're not making another change ever, 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 ever. Oh, wait, except for this except one. Except for this one. <laughs> um, and then it also is, is often uh, overlooked that even when this was promulgated, there were exceptions made. For example, any right, even in the Western part of the church, there were multiple rites, not only the Latin rite, uh, the Ambrosian rite, for example, in Milan. Um, any rite that had been in existence for longer than 200 years at that point in time uh, did, was not affected by this. So, again, regardless of the language, all of the Eastern Catholic churches were exempted from this. Uh, so not only were those things never included, even though the language certainly sounds otherwise, uh, and then over the years, uh, various successors Uh, directed uh, sometimes just a reinsertion of a feast, sometimes the changing of a feast uh, or a solemnity, and then several of those popes directed whole revisions of the Missal. So that by 1962, the the revision that was, the edition that was released in 1962 of this Mass of, of Pius V was actually the eighth edition 
of this unchanging <laughs> right. missile. Right, so uh, uh, a version of something that will never change. That's right. And, and so what we're seeing now is the third edition of the missile promulgated following Vatican II. So there, uh, nothing new. Nothing new here. By necessity, to, to demonstrate that we're alive, we're, we're going to embrace change. Mm-hmm. And we're going to understand that, the, that there are elements of, of what we do and how we do them that will change and will continue to change beyond here. I think you've mentioned before that uh, we can expect another missile in the next 20 to 30 years because it's just what we do. It's just what we do. I mean, we're a living, we're a living body. We're li- and not only as a human institution, we're a living body in Christ, and Christ is alive. Mm-hmm. But so, we can rest in the fact that we we know that the uh, that revelation is unchanging. That the mystery right. that underlies all of this liturgy that we that we do, that the work of the church, the public work, is is not. While that may change, what underlies that mystery does not change and will never change. That's correct. And 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 the fact is, is it, Vatican II put it very well in its document on the liturgy, where it said there are certain elements of the mass which cannot change, that we have divinely instituted elements there. But the way in which those truths are expressed, because we make use of human language, that that which pertains to God will not change. But what pertains to us as human beings, how we communicate, how we understand, how we express symbol and sign and reality, all of those things can and do and must, the council says, change. Well, a good illustration of that is if if you sit down for uh, just a few moments and read some of the great old English classics, right, Mm -hmm. and you read Shakespeare, in the original diction, the original word, the choice of words that Shakespeare would use, Sometimes it's hard to follow mm-hmm. because we don't talk like that anymore. That's right. And, and yet in Shakespeare's day, it was completely understandable. That's right. They got the jokes. They got all of those things, which we have to spend, you know. We read four or five times and the joke's and gone by the we time have, we finish. And we need somebody with a Ph.D. in English literature to explain the joke to us. That's exactly right. So necessarily, we, we, need, to, we need to address how we say what we say mm-hmm. and to make sure that it, it, it fully, for the time that we live in, expresses the truth of that unchanging mystery. That's exactly right. Well said. Well, now, so who's making these changes? Well, uh, obviously, it's taken 11 years to get there, so this has not been an easy process. Uh, yeah, I guess we should look at that and say there's a lot of people think, why are we rushing into this? Yeah. We, yeah. Uh, <laughs> 11 years, wow. Really, what's taken so long is there have been a number of things, three major issues, I think. First of all, uh, let's start sort of at the surface level. There, there are a lot of simply new saints to add to the book. Uh, we all know Pope John Paul II was a, you know, he just thrived on making saints. Right, well, saint maker, they call it. That's, that's right. So the whole, what we call the sanctoral cycle uh, needed to be updated with, with these new saints so that when we celebrate Mass, uh, honoring one of those saints, it's reflected. So that's kind of a, a simple change, but one that was needed. Um, there were revisions to some of the Latin texts for certain uh, Masses and, and additions. For example, there's now a Vigil Mass for the Epiphany or a Vigil Mass right. for the Ascension. Uh, which were not there before. Uh, so there are additions, there are those kind of things. A lot of people don't even realize all of these different things like uh, prefaces and things that are in the sacramentary. You know, the, the priest is flipping through this book and they see the pages turning and they don't realize that there are these individual parts and pieces that that the, the priest can pull from when he's presiding over a mass. Mm-hmm. He's able to get all these different, and they're specific to the, the feast or solemnity, the memorial or whatever's going on that particular day. And again, the beauty of this one, we talk about earlier about change is that you know everywhere in the world in the latin rite at that moment in one language or another those same prayers are being prayed 
just in different languages. But so that takes time to prepare. And of course, the biggest time constraint here, uh, and again, I should say that that what Rome deals with is the Latin text. That's the, what we call the Editio Typica. Uh, that's the master text. And of course, everything is based on that afterwards in other languages. So now, how do you translate what's in Latin? into the various vernacular languages. And there's the rub. That's where we've gotten into uh, the reason why we have the most recent changes. That's correct. And one of the things that has changed, in the late 60s, after the council, a what, what the Holy See refers to as a ratio translationis, a, 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 a translation guide, if you will. Here are the rules to be followed when translating. Uh, and the, the style, I happen to be a linguist, I was a linguist in the Navy, and the, the style of translation in that document from the 60s was uh, known as dynamic equivalence. And what that says is we're not going to slavishly translate each and every particle of each and every word, um, be like taking Shakespeare and saying you're going to take all of those Elizabethan idioms and, right. and just translate them. Um, rather, we're going to go for the, you know, the overall uh, dynamic equivalence. What is this saying? So it's not a paraphrase by any means, but it's a, it's a rule of translation. But then in the uh, later uh, you know, uh, part of the church, a, a decade or so ago, the rules changed, and the Holy See determined that no longer did we want to use dynamic equivalence. We wanted to use formal equivalency. Which is maybe a, a stricter. A stricter term. And actually the word formal refers to the form, being faithful to the form of the Latin. So, for example, one of the changes is in the creed talking about where we now say one in being, that Christ is one in being with the Father, uh, well, the Latin word is consubstantialem patri. Uh, that's the phrase. So now the form is consubstantialem, and so we have an English word consubstantial. Um, so that, that would be the preferred term. Uh, if, it's, if an imperative is used, a command is used in the Latin, well, then there ought to be a command in the English. Uh, that type of thing. So it's a much more, uh, I guess, rigorous or direct, uh, or, direct translation. Well, that's very good. Now we have more to talk about here on what's uh, what's happening with our third edition of the uh, Massali Romanum. Uh, we're going to do that when we get right back. But before we do that, I want to remind everyone at home that we have a wonderful website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. Also, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, email me at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And so we'll be back with Deacon Bill Dightwig right after this. And this is another great moment in church history. While most Catholics are generally familiar with the structure and flow of Holy Mass, many may not realize just how Mother Church teaches and assists her priest in the proper form and ritual of the liturgy. One of those ways is found at the front of that big red book that the priest uses at the altar at every Mass. At the front of the Missale Romanum, or the Roman Missal, are several pages of instructions on how the Mass is to be carried out. This authoritative and official church document, called the General Instruction of the Roman Missal, or GERM for short, is both instructive and beautiful, for it lays out virtually every aspect of the holy sacrifice of the Mass in clear and concise terms. Recently, Pope Benedict, in his apostolic exhortation, Sacramentum Caritatis, spoke of the importance of the germ. He said, 
the Eucharistic celebration is enhanced when priests and the liturgical leaders are committed to making known the current liturgical texts and norms, making available the great riches found in the general instruction of the Roman Missal. Perhaps we take it for granted that our ecclesial communities already know and appreciate these resources, but this is not always the case. These texts contain riches which have preserved and expressed the faith and the experience of the people of God over its 2,000-year history. The Holy Father makes it clear that following the germ is essential in properly celebrating Mass and challenges not only the ordained ministers, but the laity as well, in seeing the inherent value in reading and following the general instruction. In the germ, one finds instruction on all aspects of the Mass, such as the structure of the Mass, the importance of singing, movements and posture, silence, genuflections and vows, and the altar and its appointments, just to name a few. The germ is indeed a wonderful and valuable resource and is readily available on the Internet and at virtually any Catholic bookshop. All are encouraged to read the germ so that they may gain a deeper understanding of what's happening at the Mass. The Catholic Church has always taken great care that the liturgy is performed with the utmost beauty and with a profound and solemn respect for 2,000 years of tradition. The general instruction of the Roman Missal ensures that each and every Mass is celebrated in a way that genuinely makes us one with the glorious and eternal sacred mysteries of our faith. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this has been another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And welcome back to the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, and I'm sitting here with Deacon Bill Deitwig, and we are still talking about... The new missile. <laughs> this coffee is really good. <laughs> is it good? We'll have to get you a refill. We'll top it off. All right, so we're still talking about this third edition of the Roman Missile, and we just finished talking about, obviously, about uh, dynamic and formal equivalence in terms of, of translation. Maybe we need to get sort of uh, an idea of, of how big these changes are. Mm-hmm. How many changes are there going to be in this uh, new Roman Missile? Again, I'm using new with quotes around it. Yeah. Well, I think we need to distinguish um, the Missile itself, uh, the Latin original, uh, the, to the order of Mass itself, the way we actually celebrate Mass when we gather on Sunday. There actually isn't all that much change to that. Uh, there are kind of some well-publicized changes to the creed, uh, to the Gloria, to, to some of those parts of the Mass. But, but ultimately, there aren't that many. Uh, the bulk of the changes, in my opinion, uh, come to, as I said before, adding saints and different right. Masses and that kind of thing. But as far as the way the Mass itself goes, um, the most obvious ones are the, the common uh, exchange, the common greeting that we have, the Lord be with you, and now it will be, and with your spirit. Um, changes to the creed involving instead of saying we believe it'll be i believe again because the latin original which has never changed since trent uh says credo i believe um and so in, uh, formal equivalence says i try to make it as as formally equivalent as i can uh, one in being with will be changed to consubstantial with uh, and, and there's, in a sense, a more formal language that's being adopted because the Latin tends to be more formal. 
And so it is going to strike people in some ways, uh, I think using your Shakespeare example, uh, some of the language is going to be a bit more uh, elevated. Right. Uh, just as when we go to see a play like Streetcar Named Desire, that's one kind of English. You go to see Hamlet, that's another kind of English. And and the and it requires a different kind of attentiveness. Um, and, and again, this is not a social gathering of, of, of folks. This is a gathering of the worshiping church. And so perhaps the language does need to be elevated a bit. Well, a lot of people are going to wonder more specifically, w- what's going to happen to me? I'm the parishioner. I'm sitting in the pew. Uh, am I going to show up and all of a sudden there's going to be uh, a, a new uh, little worship aid or some kind of laminated card sitting in my pew that has all these different new words and I'm going to have to memorize all these? Because I've got it down now. I've been going to Mass yeah. for 40, 50, whatever years, and I've got it memorized. You're making me feel real old here. I, you know, <laughs> I, I was in the, uh, in the seminary during the Second Vatican Council. I spent high school and college in the seminary. And I, and I remember hearing people back then, you know, my elders, uh, saying, my God, I've celebrated the Latin Mass like this all my life, and now it's going to be in English, and what am I going to have to do? And I don't think this is going to be near as tumultuous as that time was. Uh, yes, uh, various uh, uh, publishers have come out with pew cards. And I think, I think what's going to be disconcerting for a bit is that some of the rhythms will change. Uh, you know, we're used to certain patterns of speech and we have things memorized. And that will take a while until the, those patterns change. But again, for those of us that are of a certain age and remember the old dual language missiles uh, that many of us grew up with, actually the English, in my opinion, kind of feels a lot like the English that was used in those missiles. You know, so, for example, in the uh, penitential rite, the form that is the confitier, I right. confess, um, we talk again about uh, my grievous fault and, and that these are through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous we fault. We all say mea culpa, mea culpa, yeah, mea right. maxima that's culpa. Right. And so those things are back. And so it'll take a while for those rhythms, I think, to adjust. But after that, I think people will uh, they'll adjust. Uh, well, I think uh, also maybe the folks in the pew, uh, can take heart in the fact that this is not going to be um, uh, not not no one is getting uh, away with not having to make any kind of uh, accommodations or change here because the clergy right the, yep. the priest and the deacon uh, are going to have changes uh, too and and there's you get into your comfort zone. How many priests have you seen, uh, Deacon Bill, where you've gotten there and they have the whole – all of the Eucharistic prayer number three is memorized. They That's love right. that one and they'll sit there and do that one from, from memory. Well, they can't do that anymore. That's well, right. It'll take a while. I'll say it'll it take, they'll way. have to memorize So they're going to change yeah. as well in terms of like just – Things like saying the creed where usually we don't have something in front of us. But when we get to the point where we're talking about consubstantial with the Father, I think we're going to need to remind ourselves that we're using some a few different pieces of language. Not everything's changing, too. So it's, it's going to be a little bit of a challenge for everyone, not just those in the pew. It is. And I think you know, we need to be pastorally uh, sensitive and, and generous and, and – uh, and accept things. Uh, you know, th- this is going to be. There's going to be a couple little speed bumps in the road. Yeah, it won't be a mortal sin for you yeah. to say the wrong creed uh, when you're you, when you fall back into habit. That's right. <laughs> you know, there's going to be a lot of oops moments. Yeah. But, uh, but at the same time, this is a point I, I tried to make recently in a presentation that um, I think what the church is teaching us here, and what our Catholic bishops of the country are saying is. Aside from the individual changes, this is such an opportunity for us to really get back to what does it mean to be celebrating the Eucharist at all? 
um, t look beyond the changes. What is it that we are doing when we are here? Who is it we are trying to be, and who is it we're trying to be in communion with? Um, and really take advantage. This is a great time for – it's a great catechetical moment in the life of the church, I think. And I think that's a positive way to approach all this. This is an opportunity for us to revisit what do we think about the Mass. What are we doing when we're, when we're, when we're gathering together as a people? Because a lot of us have fallen into that trap of uh, we just show up, we say the prayers, we occasionally sing the songs if we like them, and then we leave and we go about our daily business and we come back next Sunday and do the same thing all over again. And maybe we need to reexamine that. And also, at, at the same time, our priests, our deacons, uh, those who are uh, ecclesially uh, in, uh, in charge, as it were, right, the, 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 our fearless leaders. We're going to have to do the same thing. We're going to have to reevaluate mm -hmm. what is it we're, we're putting into this public work of the church. What are we doing? What are we adding to here? And also, are we faithful mm -hmm. uh, to, to those unchanging mysteries? Mm -hmm. Do we realize what's going on? So that's going to be a challenge, yeah. a beautiful opportunity. I mean, really, when you think of the unchanging dimension of this, I mean, Christians have gathered for over 2,000 years to, to, to proclaim the word, to share at the table of the Lord with this wonderful mystery uh, of Eucharist. And it's taken many forms, it's the, the, but why? And ultimately, that reason why, or that, that question why, has, has been what's informed Christians all along. And so this is not going to be, uh, it should be seen in context. And I always like to remind people as well, uh, you know, in another generation or maybe less than a generation away, there'll be more changes to this. The, the change, as I said at the beginning, uh, is a sign of life. You, know, you can't live and not change. The truths will not. But the way we express those truths, I mean, I think when you talk to someone who is uh, 30 years old and you ask them where they are and what things are all about, but then talk to that same person when they're 60. And the react truth hasn't changed. Right. But their ability to process the truth or to respond to those or things. Or to express it. Or to express it. Um, you know, when you're 30 and you say, how, do you, how much do you love your wife? You know, let me count the ways. When you're 60, that answer has, has evolved. It's changed. The truth has not changed. The love is there. If anything, the love is deeper. But the way we talk about it, the way we express it has changed. That's beautiful. So we are excited by this, uh, this potential to reevaluate our relationship with Holy Mother Church, right? To take yeah. that time to look at this and say, hey, this, let's, let's, uh, let's grow together uh, and understand uh, even better, if, we, if it's possible, even better the mystery. So uh, thank you so much uh, for being with us here in the Luxurious Corner booth. Thanks and, for uh, having me back. Hopefully this, this has been wonderful. a profitable discussion for our listeners. And uh, now uh, let me ask you this real quick. What, if we want to get in touch with you, if we want to contact you, if we have any other questions, mm -hmm. uh, how, do we, how do we do that? Well, I hang my hat in the diocese, the beautiful diocese of Monterey, California right now, of uh, doing some work there and uh so you can contact me through the diocese of monterey um or you can write me my email is bill deitwig at msn.com but uh, wonderful so as long as you spell my name right you'll uh, yeah d-i-t-e-w-i-g there you go right very good all right well thank you so much for being with us we appreciate it thank you let me uh close in prayer name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen. amen heavenly father we thank you for the gift of the liturgy Help us to open our hearts and minds to the unchanging and sacred mysteries of the church and find in them the glory and hope of our salvation. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table. <laughs>